because this uh, might be the, the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves, otherwise we would be cows in the field. This is Cows in the Field, is a movie podcast. Um, my name is Justin. I'm Laura. And today we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine from back in the UC Davis days, uh, Vishal Dabe. Man. All right. Hey, welcome, man. All right. So you suggested uh, Children of Men. And uh, this is a this is a movie that I I mean, I think we should just go come out and say it right now. It's movie rules. This movie straight up rules. I was <laughs> I was like, man, this movie holds up. Uh, watching this movie uh, was was great. And um, and I'm just curious, um, was there anything in particular that uh, excited you about watching this movie and talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just personally, like I. I love I love sort of the um, the gritty sci-fi, so to speak. I don't know the sort of the best term for this, but sci-fi that you know just changes one thing, but doesn't sort of fundamentally. It's not about lasers yeah. or spaceships, mm-hmm. stuff, like but it that. just sort of changes a premise and then sees what kind of the social um, ramifications of the premise are. Right now, this is like famously done by like Asimov and other folks who are just sort of like, well, we're just going to tweak this one thing and then see what what happens within it. And so I just thought it was it was interesting. It was a movie that's always stuck with me because it's just a genre that I sort of naturally really really dig. Um, and I'm also just sort of like, I love the like person on a mission of no return, whether you know it or not, that they're not going to return. Right. So like Danny Boyle's sunshine is also a film that I really like. just this idea of like the hero that, you know, may or may not return. You sort of over the course of the picture realize that they're not going to return. Yeah. That's a good genre. I like that. What are some other examples of that? I'm just trying to think like, I mean, contact, which we've talked about on this podcast. Yeah. She keeps saying she might not come back. She does come back, but she says it a lot. Does she even go? That's unclear. have you seen Contact, Michelle? Yes, yeah. I, I, I listened to the podcast. All right, <laughs> that, yeah, that, we were excited about that. One. Um, yeah, no, Man on a Mission is a good genre. I like that genre a lot, and um, yeah, I mean, in a way, um, uh, I mean, is is Ad Astra kind of like that? Is two thousand one a little bit like that? Interstellar is yeah. Interstellar that, for right? sure. Interstellar. Interstellar for sure. Gattaca. Oh, Gat- I haven't rewatched Gattaca in a long time. Gattaca's really good. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we it's, should um, we should do Gattaca. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know what it says about me that I, I like this like you're going to go somewhere <laughs> and never return. But, but it's uh it's a it's a genre that I think plays well into a lot of uh, this style of, of sci-fi I think really plays well into yeah. that sort of narrative arc. Right? Well it's super heroic. I mean it's it's in a way the ultimate form of heroism, right? Of of self-sacrifice for the greater good. You will not get to partake in that greater good by definition because you are about to sacrifice yourself. And they are doing it premised entirely on there being something after that they're doing it for, right? That they're doing it for these people who will come after them. And I think that that is, that's like a crucial assumption. And that assumption, I mean, in the beginning of this movie is, is overturned, right? Because this is an assumption, there is no, this is the last generation on earth. Um, and but it is interesting that the then Theo, when he learns about Key and her baby, um, uh, suddenly has uh, a new sort of reason to live, and he decide, you know, ultimately decides to sacrifice himself for her well-being, um, for the hope that there is, yeah, more to come. Um, so wait, you saw you? We did. I'm not sure if we we're not sure if we saw this movie together for the first time, but um, at least I don't know if I saw it in theaters. Actually, do you know if you saw it in theaters? 
Oh yeah, I, I saw it in theaters. Okay. I was, I was. This was like again. I was on this one. I was like, yeah, I can't wait to see this. And um, yeah, I, you know, I've been watching. Uh, you know, I've been sort of following Quran's work for a while and stuff like that. So I was like, sort of, I was, I was into this, right? Um, but yeah, I saw it in the theaters. I, yeah, I can't remember if I saw it with you, but I, yeah. I remember, I remember walking out feeling, yeah, pretty like, like man, that was that was a bummer. Like it was yeah. just like it was awesome, but it was a bummer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you feel about watching it this time? Uh, pace. I, I just, I, I was, I started it pretty late last night. So I was sort of like, oh man, like, am I going to get through this? I'm going to have to watch this in the morning. Like, what am I going to do here? And so like that, and I just was glued. I was yeah. just glued and it felt like it was over in 20 minutes. Yeah. It felt like a lot, like it had this pace to it where it was sort of, some of it's the, you know, the, the steady cam shots, the documentary feel like, you know, some of that, it just felt like I was watching something unfolding in real time. Yep. Um, and and, you know, we can talk about the context of like this in today's world. Right. Yeah. So it just sort of felt like um, when I watched it in 2006, I felt like I was watching this sort of perverse dystopia of like what the world could be. Mm. And when I was watching it last night, I was like, yeah, this sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. At least in the sense of like, it didn't strike me as less it struck me less as fiction. Right. Yep. Which was like sort of not that I like think that like, you know, whatever, like we're, we're on that verge or anything, but it just sort of like the bizarreness of it, like what I felt the first time I saw it, you know, in 2006, um, it just felt less strange to me. And maybe that's just because I've seen it a couple times now. So yeah. it's just sort of like, I kind of know what's coming, but the the context, the, yep. the, the, you know, the visions of London, all of that, you know, sort of the social unrest and stuff like that, all of it just seemed like, cause you know, I mean, that's stuff that we're all sort of grappling with on a daily basis. today. Yeah. I mean, it's in particular, the immigration situation yep. that is at the forefront of this movie. And I, I mean, I, I watched an interview with Quran, uh, maybe it was filmed two years ago, I think. And and they were like, yeah, so you kind of nailed like a bunch of the major issues that were going to happen. And and he was like, yeah, like I, I it seemed obvious to me at the time. I'm sure it's no uh, joy to you to discover how clairvoyant that film was, because here we are 12 years later. And, you know, the immigration crisis and the climate chaos that we now have right around us was there in that film. Yeah, but there were, uh, people were warning about that yeah. for decades now. Yeah, but very few people were listening. Yeah, yeah but it was, not, it was not a topic trend, I guess. Yes. And uh, the, the, uh, what is amazing is that now everybody, even people sending children of men, oh, look at that. Mm -hmm. I, I, you yeah. know, I was just, these people were talking about that like two decades ag ago, and now it's happening. They, all of these things that we're living, mm -hmm. We're it was completely predicted two decades ago. Yep. Immigration, yep. Uh, uh, environment, mm -hmm. uh, this whole thing of the, the populism and authoritarian, authoritarian states. I mean, this is reality, really no, no, it is no, there are no, no, no news, you know. Yeah, the things that, that jumped out to me this time were, I think, I mean, in particular, the immigration thing, but, but I mean, he was working with, transposing images from like Guantanamo Bay and the Iraq war. Like this mm -hmm. really feels like anytime there was a bag put on somebody's head. Yeah. Oh. I mean, and the scene in Bexhill when they're, when there's the uprising, right. Those are, those are shots that are, I think explicitly designed to mimic the feel of uh, the, the footage that we were getting out of Iraq uh, yeah. in, you know, that time. Um, and so that's the, I mean, I, it was in a way like weirdly like bringing me back to that time. And yet 
like that kind of footage, now we have a whole nother context for it because you have, you know, the Arab Spring and then you have um, Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, you have Occupy and then you have Black Lives Matter protests now and like the current clashes with the police. And it just is, you know, it's like these, we, our whole lives are now suffused with these images on a daily basis. And I think, you know, this movie was, what feels I think so prescient about it is that it was, you know, shooting that stuff in that kind of documentary style that is is now, um, you know, we have now we all have cell phone footage that is getting us the same looking footage where where people are it's kind of grainy and it's it's all shaky and people are kind of running around and and one of the things that Koran loves to do with Lebeski, his cinematographer, is stick the camera right in the middle of the action. Right, he doesn't he doesn't like the the you know the um the wide establishing shot that much he likes the shot where the camera's in the middle and it has to move around um and this is like i think nowhere clearer than in that car scene in that extended car scene where the camera's affixed to the top of the the ceiling of the car and it's moving around um but he does it all the time anytime he can put a camera in the middle of a crowd and and have to physically move the camera to get your experience of what's happening uh, he wants to do that and that is the shots we're getting now, right? From in particular, you know, today, like from like the Black Lives Matter protests. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. absolutely. Another thing I thought about a little bit while we were watching the movie is how kind of pointless and futile capitalism would be in this, in this construct, but how, mm. you know, I, I would expect human beings not to just sort of give it up. Right. And maybe this will touch a little bit on, on sort of when we talk about legacy or kind of why we do the things we do, but in a world in which this is the last generation, right? And like a, a lot of capitalism is around like sort of aggregating generational wealth, right? And then either putting it to philanthropic uses or something, but you're, you know, the first step is always accumulation, right? Mm -hmm. You never just sort of say, oh, I'm just gonna get enough for what I need for my lifetime, right? You're always sort of like, well, for my kids and for my legacy, whatever, right? But like how futile would capitalism be in this sense, right? Like I can see a world in which if this is the last generation, like hyper capitalism would kick in, right? People are just like, let's just spend every dollar we have, mm -hmm. there's nothing left. Right. But I can also see people who are just sort of still holding on to like all this like generational wealth, even though there's never going to be another generation. Right. Yeah. So it, it struck me particularly when I think I think it's his cousin or the yep. person who goes to see with like the, you know, with like the, the statues and, and all the all the mm -hmm. great art and obviously clearly lives in this like bubble that they created, right? Yeah. Within like Greater London. And so I'm like, gosh, like what a like, like what, what's the point of this, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, no generation coming, right? Like, I was thinking a little bit about that too, because I was wondering, you know, what's the more likely situation to happen in a, in, in a situation where we know that they're, that this is the last generation. Okay. So one, one thought is, and I think you articulated both thoughts. I just will put them out there again. So one is like, we realize, oh, we have like now an abundance of natural resources because we don't need to hoard. Like, like let's use all the resources we have. Let's just use them up. Burn all use, that fossil burn fuel. Burn the fossil fuels, <laughs> right? Like use up the medical supplies. There's no need to hold on to them. Like, let's get it. Okay, the other one though, it, the other impetus is um, hoard. Here's the reason behind hoarding. There's no generation coming up to take care of us, right? So, so we, and our current, the way we like, you know, he lived our lives for basically the eternity is we've had, we get old and then we are unable to actually produce uh, uh, any goods and we become in need of being taken care of by the younger generation. And so in a, in a world where there's like no younger generation, there's no farmers, going to be no farmers, there's going to be no people able to, uh, you know, move the goods around. Um, maybe that would just lead to hoarding, right? Because people would just be like, well, I got my thing. You got to be self-sufficient at the end. Yeah, nobody's going to be making bread. Yikes. So, 
I got to hold on to this because I want to be able to last. Uh, and so maybe that would happen. And, and that the movie kind of think, I think, leans in that direction, right? It, that's what I think is potentially what's responsible for all this social unrest is that people are just like, oh, crap. Like, I, we all now got to get what resources were produced because there's not going to be any more production. Um, so I do wonder, I'm not sure like which is more likely, but I do think it's interesting that they have the, you could, you could think of it in two ways. I don't know if the, all the pandemic hoarding is any indication. I think the hoarding, hoarding. seems likely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, th- I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, I think that's sort of what struck me as so weird, right? Sort of, it seemed like, like at least with the pandemic hoarding, you think, well, okay, there's this like temporary, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel or something that I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm just waiting out, right? Like I'm yeah. just, I'm stocking up and I'm waiting it out and I'm going to come out of the bunker and it's going to be fine. But in, in this world, as far as they know, there is, there is no coming out of the bunker. Right? There's no coming there's out. Sort of, but, but there's clearly, but there clearly was hoarding, right? I mean, there's this bubble and like there were people inside the bubble and yep. people had, you know, all kinds of stuff that, you know, other folks didn't have. Right. So, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was just a really interesting uh, sort of context to watch the movie. In. Totally. Yeah. Um, you, you know, and so thinking about the last generation um, uh, situation, there is some philosophical work that's been done on this. And and um, in particular, uh, a book by Samuel Scheffler called Death in the Afterlife. And by afterlife, he doesn't mean the personal afterlife. That is the afterlife that you and me might end up in if we die. Um, but rather the afterlife of just other people living on beyond our death. Um, he calls it the collective afterlife. Um, and so, you know, one thing that the movie posits is that uh, a lot of things that, in fact, do matter to us, like our jobs, um, our um, appreciation maybe of of art, or a lot of the projects that we engage in, um, might actually matter less in a world where there is this infertility scenario. That is in a world where we are the last generation of, of humans. Um, I'm just curious, before we get into the philosophical part of this, like, did you, do you share that sentiment that, I mean, I think is part baked into the movie and, and, and Scheffler thinks is, is accurate, that in fact it would, a lot of these things would matter a lot less in that scenario. Like, would you would you feel any reason to continue your job? Putting aside, I think for for purposes of this exercise, putting aside the like, you still need to eat and produce income to like live, right? So, so just sort of like if you if you thought about your legacy, right, in terms of like what projects you would, yeah. I, I mean, so I, I came to this idea, you know, kind of as as you guys sort of you know, as we as we were thinking about doing doing this this, this episode, um, and I kind of agree with it, right? Mm-hmm. What what so much of what just take a maybe a silly example, sports, right? Mm-hmm. What w- would sports continue in in the world of children and men? That's a good would, question. Would they continue? Would they matter? Yeah. Because because putting aside again, like you know, you want to get wealthy from playing sports or whatever. Yeah. But but wh- why do people play sports, right? Because they want this like like legacy to exist. Like I scored the most points. Mm-hmm. I scored, you know, like Michael Jordan wanted to win the most championships, right? Something like that. But but you know, would Michael Jordan even care? Like, what was he being? Maybe he would, maybe because he's just psychotic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael Jordan might care, but others might not. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, you're right. Michael Jordan would definitely care. He would still <laughs> want to destroy everyone in everything he did. Um, just for the moment of, you know, yeah. living it. But yeah, but like, what, like, what would it matter? I don't know. Like, why, <laughs> yeah. would, why would people play sports? Why would you watch sports? Yeah, I mean, and here's, an, here's a couple other examples. So, so take uh, like the, the project. There's a lot of people right now who are, who are actively trying to cure cancer. 
would would it matter anymore if if they found that cure? You might think maybe the cure isn't coming in their lifetime, but they like, well, we're building towards it. And now you know there's not gonna be any people left. So maybe it would matter a lot less if we actually cured cancer. Um, or take like um uh you know, a lot all the work that's being done in Silicon Valley right now. Yeah. So would any of that matter? I mean, you might think it's it's all just for connecting humans. And if like we're the last generation, like it, sh- it might you might think it shouldn't matter at all, really, um, or very little. Um, I mean, I, Laura, what do you think? You, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to know how I'd feel about my professional work of raising money. Um, I feel like philanthropy is like pressingly important for now, but also the way that I always talked about it because I worked in higher education was about the next generation. That's how we always I framed see. it for yeah. pitch for philanthropy. Um, but on a personal level too, I think if I were not able to have children of my own, that would be, that's something that I always wanted in my life. That would yeah. be really, really hard on a personal level yeah. aside from whatever professional projects I had going on. Um, I would, I, I would find it really hard to get through life. I think, um, knowing that that would be just something that I'm not gonna be able to take part in. I mean, that would be tough. I mean, I, I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry to bum you out. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, well, I mean, it'd be harder on you than me. <laughs> uh, I mean, another, another aspect of it is, is creative work. Like, like would, you know, I don't know how, you know, would we want to, would we think it matters to make this podcast? Like, would you think we'd matter to write stories? It's not clear and, why we make this podcast. No, who knows? But like, presumably someone, wa- we do it for someone to listen to. Maybe it's ourselves. But anyway, but you know that or like, like, like making art, like paintings and things like, would it matter to do those things? Isn't this where people talk about you have to love the process? Well, right? wouldn't, wouldn't, yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't this, wouldn't that be the ultimate test of that sort of thing yeah. that I hear from artists all the time about like, you know, you can't think about the fame. You can't think about making it quote unquote, whatever your definition of success is, you have to love the process and everything else is just a byproduct of that. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe you do, maybe you do still record this podcast because you like talking about movies. Right? I like that thought. Yeah. I like that thought, Vishal. Well, hold on. We'll come back to that. So suppose it does matter less for a moment, just because a really interesting consequence falls from this. We'll come back to your, to your process thought in a second. Cause I really, I think that I actually totally agree with that. So, um, so one consequence of this is that, um, um, uh, so consider something we do know that is true of us. Unfortunately, we are all going to die. Everyone we know will die. Um, but this thought doesn't doesn't have the same effect at all on us. It, notice that like just reflecting on that, it's not like we go, oh, man, why are we doing anything like we, why are we engaging in sports? <laughs> like, why are we, why are we, it doesn't, it doesn't bother us at all. We, you know, in a way we always knew it. It's, it's, it's there before our minds, not all the time, but it's when we reflect on it, we're like, yeah, of course. Um, so what that, what Scheffler thinks is that that shows in a certain sense that the persistence of humankind matters more to us, um, than our own continued existence and the continued existence of our friends and immediate family. And that is really surprising um, because it suggests that, I mean, think about the persistence of humankind. That means we care more that there be people who do not currently exist and may even not even have any determinate identities. They're just, they're not even like, we can't even imagine who they would be, but we care more that they will exist than that we will exist a little longer or something like mm-hmm. that, that we would ex- continue to exist, which is, which is really surprising. And that's, that's just, he's following through the train of thought from thinking like 
well, look, if you think that the children of men scenario would seriously undermine the value of a lot of your projects, and you don't think that's the case about just the fact that we're all going to die, that does suggest in some sense that you think it matters more that, um, that the human race continues. Um, now, Scheffler wants to try to diagnose this, and he says that maybe the reason that is the case is that valuing is something we can only do in a social context. And all right, so I'm curious about what you think of this. Here's a thought experiment. I ran this by Laura already, so I already know what her view is, but you should still tell us, Laura. Okay. Okay, so suppose you had to choose between the following two options. Okay, option one is that you will die, let's say, relatively recently. Like, you'll die, like, in a few days. But you know that humanity will just survive long after your death. So that's option one. Option two is you will live out your regular lifespan, but humanity will die in a couple days. Like, everyone else will die. So you'll be the only person left on earth for the for the remainder of your your years but you'll have many long you'll have a long life ahead of you. Um question which of these two options would you prefer? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm now? asking okay. I want to well, Laura has a strong opinion. Oh my god, about I'm this. taking that quietus like right away. Absolutely not. <laughs> I am not going to be alone. But I'm like so alone. So you prefer to die but, and just, let him That's what I'm saying. On. I'm taking the quietus. I'm going Laura's to, option one. I'm taking I'm going to sleep. I'm going to die for, and uh and the humanity can move on without me. Michelle, do you have a thought on this? Yeah, I mean, gosh, you should ask me this question 10 years ago, but um, <laughs> today I like yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with Laura, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm I've got a kid, right? I, I think about legacy more than ever before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's sort of like legacy has been, you know, become whether I cared about it or not has become such a central focus of my life in all kinds of ways, right? Like, you know, thinking about whatever, you know, your child's going to need in the future, how you can be helpful, you know, setting them up for success, whatever, you know, you're, you're thinking about that and, you know, sort of, um, and then wanting to be there for their milestones, right? So like wanting to take care of yourself in a way that yep. I like, guess for their milestones. So yeah, I, I don't know that I could, yeah. I mean, like, what's the what's the point of just yeah. like living up this like life by yourself? So and- that's a really good way of putting it, Vishal. So that's the way that's what Scheffler wants you to think. So Scheffler thinks that this shows to a certain extent that valuing is only possible in the social context. The whole what the what is the point of just living out a solitary life like this is that it would be a life without value or largely devoid of any value. It would be an insignificant largely meaningless life. But do you not agree with that, Jess? Are you happy to just philosophize <laughs> by yourself? Well, well, just read books by yourself in a <laughs> library all day. <laughs> so yeah, I, I do I lean think, towards that view. Um, I think you're like, sounds so, good. So, so Scheffler thinks the view that I just articulated, which is I choose to live rather than die. Uh, and, and sorry guys, I would let you all die. Um, uh, Nobody he, is surprised. He, he thinks that's like a, the egoist view. Right. That's the view, which Mm -hmm. is you're you're completely egoistic. Um, But I want to try to actually argue the exact opposite. Well, not exact opposite, but a close to exact opposite. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Okay. So uh, (laughs) this gets back to Vishal's uh, thought about about the process. Um, So I think that I, my view is that the prospect that we're the last generation would pretty much undermine none of the, almost none of the value of almost anything that I do. So in particular, I think all of our accomplishments would still be valuable. So Michael Jordan scoring 60 points would still be an accomplishment. It would still be a valuable accomplishment. It would still be, I think, incredibly important. I think all creative work would still have much the value that it does um, because the the value in the creative work isn't 
I think doesn't lie in it's being appreciated by later generations, but just by the fact that it exists. I think the fact that David exists, it's an incredible, majestic, beautiful statue that took a lot of care and work to put in and it expressed, um, you know, an immense amount of emotional power and everything. Um, and that's, that's, that's enough. I think the fact that it's enjoyed is great, but its value drives, I think, intrinsically from its, from what it is. Um, I think also that uh, this thought that our work and value, the value of our projects derives from future generations participating in them and taking something away from it is itself a kind of egotism. It's itself this idea that like, I want to do this because I'll be remembered because someone else will like, you know, see my name by the accomplishment that I, that I got. And I think insofar as it is egotism and I have that attitude, which I do to some extent, I feel like it's an attitude that I should try to get rid of. It's an attitude I should be like attempting to, to remove from myself as best as possible to exercise from my, from my mind. Um, so, and I think this really does tell in favor of that thought you had about process, yeah. Michelle. And I think that this is, I'm trying to articulate what the process, like what the value in the process is. Um, um, it's not just process, but it's, it's just that the value, I think of a lot of what we do drives intrinsically. And of course, there's lots of stuff that drives extrinsically. Like, of course, there wouldn't be any friendship in this world yeah. because there are no people to, to, to be friends with one another. And so those <laughs> values would be gone. But um, I think that there still would be friendship in a world where we're the last generation because we could still, I could still be friends with you guys and I could still be kind to you. And, and those things are valuable. And I don't think they lose value just because there's not going to be anyone coming after us who isn't friendly or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's my counterpoint to Scheffler and the children. Mm -hmm. Men. Yeah. It's a good point. It's actually, it's actually a really good point about the egotism that that was well played like that. That's, that's interesting. I want to, I want to double click though a little bit on this value point, right? Yeah. Sort of, cause I, I was really with you when you were saying sort of, you know, the value is derived by like in relation to, I think a lot about sort of like, uh, uh sapiens, right. That, that, that book by, by Yuval Harari, right. Um, that just all of humankind is largely just like, like shared acknowledgement, right? Like we just, we think gold is valuable because we all just agreed that gold is valuable. Right. We think mm -hmm. something is, we, we think art is valuable because we all agree that it's hard to make work. You know, we just agree that it's hard to make, right? We think uh, Michael Jordan's accomplishments are valuable because we think it's hard to put a basketball into a hoop at mm -hmm. such a, such a consistent rate, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. But like, there's no intrinsic value in being able to do that, right? Like there's no intrinsic value to gold. There's no intrinsic value That's to true. anything, right? So. Yeah. So help me understand that a little bit in, in your in your context of this, like because I, I was with you on that point, right? Uh -huh. Value is derived from what we all agree is valuable, right? And that makes uh, the economist in me makes perfect sense, right? That, that that's so good. So in your scenario of where you're sort of just extinguishing this ego, you know, egotism by not really being focused on legacy, but just you know, going back to the thought experiment of deciding to be the last person on earth, what what would value look like in that context? Just that like. Michael Jordan had scored the points that you had read the books that you had written the paper. Like what's the, Good. there's no one to even like, like, there's no one to even contextualize that value for you. Right. It's just you sort of thinking it might be valuable. Right. Right. So I think we should distinguish two things. So there's, there's one, which is like sort of commodity value, which is like, what can I, what can I get with this by, mm -hmm. by trading and that kind of thing. And then that definitely derives from some shared consensus yeah. about what the exchange rate is. Um, and then I think there's there's other kinds of value, which philosophers sometimes call intrinsic value, which is just the things that are valuable in and of themselves, not because they're desired 
or, um, you know, useful for trading for other purposes, but the things that are just the things that are just there, objects of value um, in and of themselves. And I think I think things that are beautiful have those have those properties. Um, And I think things that are um, difficult can be valuable in that way. Um, I so think we think something's beautiful. Why, like, why do we think a mountain is beautiful? It, it's not objectively beautiful, right? We just all agree that like this vista looks well, nice. Well, I was right? thinking that some things like that are objectively beautiful, and um, and the aliens when they when they come down and, and they yeah. look at the mountain, they're like, you know what? This is really ugly. Where I come from, I love flat. <laughs> they might not be able to appreciate the beauty, but uh, it might still be there. Uh, here's one way to 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 test whether you 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 are on board with this or thought or not. Um, so just imagine um, uh, a, um, a world where um, the you know Michelangelo completes the David, and then it's um, it's sort of boarded up and never witnessed ever again. But it took a long time to carve. It was it was complicated, yeah. and it and it was it, you know it was it 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 expressed a certain um, aesthetic ideal that uh, you know I think we we do find valuable. But now just suppose nobody sees it. And nobody like is ever in a position to like you know compare it to other statues and that kind of thing, um, and just compare that to a world where Michelangelo, sorry, excuse me, Michelangelo never did that, right? He just he just spent his days just like twiddling his thumbs. Um, I think the world in which he does do it is a better world, even though nobody is around to sort of appreciate that. And that I think is just because it is just intrinsically valuable for him to have done this thing. So if when Steph Curry hits five three pointers from, from half court in practice before anyone shows up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He just goes to the court and he hits the five uh, half court shots. And like, you know, sometimes the coach is there, sometimes the coach isn't even there, but, but he hits them and, and we know that he hits them and he, he, you know, he tells us that he never leaves the court till he hits five of them in a row or something like that. Right. Um, it doesn't matter. It's just the fact that he can do that is valuable. Right. Yeah. It's like, he's like, who cares if anyone saw him do that or if he did it in a game or if he did it for, some sort of document, you know, something that's being documented, right? Like it's just Steph Curry can hit five three pointers from the mid court, and and you know what a world we live in. Right? That's the thought. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, if you think of it like so, that's all talking about aesthetic value, but but think of it for moral value too. So you might have, um, I think that we we some we at least know of the of the concept of a character of someone who um, uh, does a lot of good, but then isn't recognized. For that good that they've done, right? And in fact, they don't do it because they want to be recognized. They just do the good. They're just like, no, I mean, this is the right thing to do. I'm I'm trying to just be friendly and that sort of thing. And you know, then they die and nobody knows that they did those things and they're forgotten to the sands of time. Now, that person might be like, this kind of sucks for me because I didn't get any recognition. Um, sure, I, I understand that. But I was thinking it's still good that they did it. It's not that, you know, the goodness only derives from it being appreciated by other people um, that they that they did those things. Yeah, um, that that's that's the thought on the moral level. But I, we were talking about it on the aesthetic level. And I, I, there are other virtues, too. Right. Um, having knowledge is a virtue. And I, I think that that can be pursued solo. You don't need other people around you to share that knowledge with. It's, it's often helpful and sometimes maybe even maybe necessary for certain projects that there be a joint that these be joint endeavors but i think getting the truth and and knowing it um you know scientific discoveries philosophical discoveries mathematical discoveries and so on um are 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 valuable just because they are you know finding the truth um and uh yeah so i i that that's the view that i have and i think it it's interesting to me that it 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 plays so strongly against the intuition scheffler has um, about you know the 
what it takes for something to be valuable, um, which is going along with what you're suggesting, Vishal, but it, it really requires this social context. Um, it's not it's not so entirely clear to me what Scheffler means by the social context, or if he means something like what you have in mind, or if he means something just like that there be an ongoing presence of humanity to sort of engage with the thing. Um, but um, yeah, and, and what I, the, the reason I was interested in this is because I love Children of Men. I, it's one of my favorite movies. It's a fantastic movie. But I was never moved by the central premise. And I always wondered why I wasn't moved by it. Um, I think a lot of people see this movie as incredibly bleak. Uh, and it's, of course, it's bleak because of all the war and tragedy that's happening. But on top of it, it's, I think, supposed to be bleak because there's no hope for humanity. And I guess I just, I was never moved by that thought. And I, I was trying to figure out why. And I think this exercise in engaging with Scheffler's book has been helpful because it it helped me sort of, like reading it, I remember I was telling Laura, I was reading this book thinking, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm reading an alien describing feelings I've never felt before. Mm, like and just I, like feelings though? <laughs> Is that like the first <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it that's exactly it yeah they were saying these words like happy and sad yeah and, yeah, and like care for humanity you're like what I undercut you a I little just bit I this vision of Justin like listening to like Radiohead in a library by himself yeah, yeah. forevermore, <laughs> forevermore. Right? Like, like, okay, yeah. computer on repeat as he just like reads all the books that there are to read <laughs> yeah that's that's what I would do I would be I, in a weird way I feel oh like I could get God. on just fine I mean you're like listen I can watch everything on the Criterion channel and peace <laughs> <laughs> can I give one other argument against the please Scheffelarian please slash Quran you got an axe to grind well okay so um, Bishal, do you know this scene in Annie Hall um, where uh, Woody Allen, it's like a flashback and he's like with his mom and he and his mom's like taking him to, I don't know, a therapist or the doctor or something. And he, she's like, he's never, he's never, he doesn't want to do anything. Why are you depressed, Alvy? Tell Dr. Flicker. It's something he read. Something he read, huh? The universe is expanding. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything. And if it's expanding, someday it will break apart and that will be the end of everything. What is that your business? He stopped doing his homework. What's the point? What has the universe got to do with it? You're here in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not expanding. It won't be expanding for billions of years yet, Alvie. And we've got to try and enjoy ourselves while we're here, huh? Uh? <laughs> Many of us would think Alvy Singer, that's just, this is a stupid idea, right? The fact that the universe is going to die or the fact that there are going to be no humans in like millions of years is not a like, that doesn't undercut any of the value of being a good person today here and now or engaging in cancer research or whatever. Doing your homework. Doing your homework. In the case of Alvy Singer. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but. If you think about what's the difference between, let's say, humanity is going to extin be extinguished in 100,000 years and humanity is extinguished within 50 years. Well, it's only a difference of time, um, but it's the same circumstance. So if our attitude, like, why would our attitude towards one, why should our attitude towards one be different from our attitude towards the other? So that's a way of, like, getting from the thought that we shouldn't care about humanity being extinguished in X number of years to we shouldn't care about humanity to be extinguished in X minus blank number of years.
anyway. Yeah, no. I mean, but yeah, horizons matter to people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like time horizons matter, right? Like we we like like we we do think a thousand years matters to to you know how people invest today, right? In terms of like what what they do, right? So I think you're right. Logically, if you if you don't think it matters in a hundred thousand years, then it shouldn't matter in a hundred years or whatever. Yeah, right? like like that that's the logically consistent position, right? Uh, it's not also, it's just also not how human beings think. That's right. right. No. no, totally. Yeah. So the argument is not that you you will be moved by this, but that you ought to be moved by this. So yeah. if you have this reaction, then if you have one reaction to the near-term extinction and one reaction and a different reaction to the long-term extinction, um, then you're being inconsistent in a certain way. Yep. So that, that's that so it's an argument that you should somehow try to get over that feeling <laughs> or maybe you should just realize ah, it wasn't actually as bad as i thought that's my view <laughs> i think i think the silicon valley people that just divert to them would just say that like oh no man we got to build a time capsule for the aliens right like they would immediately <laughs> say like no, no 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 we have to continue to build google because the aliens are going to come and they're going to know how smart we were right? um, that's like, super we're give them instructions to like recreate us right we're gonna leave some like dna and like, yeah. recreate us and, like, <laughs> that's like the extreme chef larian idea right like it's not even just humans that we care about existing it's like well, maybe there are other beings and we need oh, to like aliens. yeah we need to be worlds, re- we need them to, yeah if we want them to remember us <laughs> yeah, we, gotta, we want we them to want to hang out with us they better know that steph curry hit those five Half court shots. Yeah. No, no, even better. We're going to live, leave a little piece of Steph Curry's DNA behind, so they're going to re- Reincar- reincarnate him, oh, yeah. <laughs> AI <laughs> style. We'll give them the instructions to recreate Steph Curry. Oh my God! Would you want to be entire race of Steve Curry's? We- Steve Curry's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm just imagining the only you take Steve Curry's DNA. So I like that like- you call him Steve Curry. <laughs> oh, Steve Curry. Oh my God. Because we, so we were watching the the, tired, the Jordan guys. doc, and and so there was a lot of Steve Kerr. Yeah, so I think that's that was that's I generous of you. That's what's happening. It's not a sleep deprivation in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's you're right. It's logically inconsistent to not care about. Well, that's the argument. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's right, but that's that's at least the argument. Scheffler has interestingly. So that argument was raised by Susan Wolf in response to Scheffler's book, and and so this book is like where these lectures. I forget if they were Oxford or whatever, and then. Um, there were they invited as part of the publication of the book um, a bunch of philosophers to respond, and Susan. So I have to give credit that that was Susan Wolf's objection, and um, and Scheffler has a response to that. Um, so it's not like this is settled. Well, how how do you think this this point of view plays out in the the sort of the factions in the movie? Right. So mm, you have the yes, good. You know you don't you don't have the so you have the human project right. You have the Fishers, which. Do we, by the way, do we do we know why they're called the Fishers? Maybe that was a detail that I, just I missed in the know. movie, but they don't say it. They don't explain. It. They don't explain it. No, I don't no. think so. Okay, yeah, because I'm just like, why are they called the Fishers? Is this some like historical reference that I'm missing? But no, it uh, might be in the novel. Maybe I I have a hypothesis. It might be in the novel. It, uh, my hypothesis is that they are pro-immigration, and if you if you sort of think about what a fish is, it's sort of a thing that like does a lot of migrating. I mean, maybe they could, could have been called birds too, but fish, they just like, they float around, especially in the ocean. They're always like floating free. So maybe it's something. Especially in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the aquarium, they can't do very much immigrating. I see. I see that. That was the distinction you're making. I was well, like, they could be in the lake. Fish. <laughs> <laughs> could be lake fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that one makes sense to me. That the, the yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. I buy that as fish. Anywho. Um, so you, sorry, Vishal, you were you were breaking down the various factions. There's the Human Project. There's the Fish. 
Fisheries, yeah, and then fish. there's the I don't know what the the government the or government, the, the status yeah. quo, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. The right? man. So like, how, are they, how are all three of them? Because because you're right. So so why would a government care about enforcing anything if it was sort of like, yep, this is all gonna go up and you know like it'd be interesting to take this lens and see what each of those factions would say about it because one of the interesting things i thought about in the movie is it's actually pretty like light on dialogue yeah right it's, it's very light on exposition also right there's not a whole lot of explaining to you what's happening there's a lot of just yes. like we're again that documentary feel of like we're just watching these events unfold there's not a lot of context for how the world got like you don't know why the world got to be that way like they're not they're not building any sort of mythology right there's no sequel coming there's no prequel there's no franchise yeah. right mm-hmm. there's no origin to discuss here right it's just it's just the problem and the through line of the problem right so so it, it's interesting and it, it, i think i think it actually works to great effect here because i think mm-hmm. it just leaves you wanting more you're mm-hmm. so fascinated by it. i think it creates the mystery and kind of makes you really just like man like i have so many questions and you know like some of them are really obvious and some of them are, you know, sort of more philosophical, like what, what we've been discussing. But through this lens, what do you think, like, all of these factions think about what is happening, right? Because they're, they're cracking down on something, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, presumably immigration or whatever, maybe it's just a resource game, something like that. But, you know, the human project, like, they're doing something, but they never tell you what it is. Like, what what would the fishers have done differently with the baby that the human project isn't going to? Because at the end, you get to the point where you hear that, okay, you're there, the boat's there, the human project's here, yay. No one tells you the human project's good. No nope. one tells you what's going to happen to Key and her yep. baby, right? Like maybe they're going to dissect the baby to try to like do the alien like DNA recreation thing, yep. right? Um, and it, and they don't tell you what. Similarly, they don't tell you what the the Fishers are. You know, they they end up being sort of these like radicals that like you're not supposed to align with, but they never tell you why, yep. right? They never they never tell you. So so what do we hypothesize? Like what like what do we think these factions are doing? Like Theo's just clearly he's like he gets personally invested and he's like moving towards this thing, but but. Why? Like, what? What is the human project, right? Like, what, what I think is so interesting is, yeah. The, well, so there's the two storylines intersecting here because there's this anti, there's the government immigration issue, and then there's the like, there are no babies issue, and then so the fish like are, you know, they're divided on how to deal with this, right? Now we all agreed to deliver key to our brothers and sisters in the human project. Right. But now we've got to reevaluate that position. No, there's no need. We move forward with the original plan. Yes! Hey, she'll never make it. The police are looking for her. We can find a way. It's what Julian wanted. We'll be risking the girl's life. Listen, listen. She belongs here. And this baby is the flag that could unite we us all. We never use this baby for political purposes. My baby is not a flag. Make it public! What? What? Excuse me. You should make it public. Well, you saw the telly. She's about to be very public. It doesn't matter. She's pregnant. Oh, right. And then the government will say, well, we, we, we were wrong. Fuji's are humans, too. Yeah, well, whatever's going on, whatever your political ideas are, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Oh, come on. She needs a doctor. You really don't Look, know. the government will take the baby and parade a posh black English lady as the mother. Nobody's taking my baby. We all know this government would never acknowledge the first human birth in 18 years from a Fuji. I wanted Fuji. Why don't we explain to Mr. Fan what they do to immigrants in this country? He knows. He's seen the cages. He's not that stupid. I'm not going to the government. You told me you would get into the human project. You promised me. Um, and what I thought, what I was struck watching it this time in that discussion was the, is it that same contrast you see among the left today, right? You see this sort of like optimistic in a way, um, 
what's sometimes are thought of as like the middle left, right? Who are just like, no, 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 we can play the game largely as it's been played and work for incremental change. And then there's the more radical left who wants to embrace a more radical, you know, pro-democratic socialist agenda or whatever, even more radical than that. I mean, you're seeing now with like abolish police movements and that kind of thing, which is like, no, the only way, it's like reform isn't gonna do it, right? We need to just like, Rest, we need to start from scratch. And I, I thought it was interesting that, that that same dynamic is playing out here and that you've got, you know, these idealists within the movement and then these cynics who are just like, no, like this is our our end comes before everything. And we we're gonna have to fight to get that end. Um and yeah, and, and as far as the government, we really don't see the government, right? It's hard to know like what what they're up to. I mean, the only guy you see is Teddy, his his cousin. And his and his cousin is just like this, you know, he's just like completely closed himself off, right? He, Him and his son just take drugs, right? They just take the government-issued like happy pills. And right. he's just like, I don't think about it. Like, I don't have to think about it because it's out there. And I'm going to just kind of live my cloistered life here um, and be apolitical, right? I don't have to take a side on this. Um, and... Yeah, and I don't know what I mean. Like, I take it the government is just interested in preserving the status quo, right? Preserving Britain's, I don't know, resources yeah. or or whatever. But for what end? As you're right, you know, like they they yeah, have more they, than they need. Right. The the video that he's watching in the the, the muni bus or whatever, right? It's mm -hmm. just sort of like uh, the the world is collapsing. Yeah. or Whatever. It's the Britain soldiers on. Right? It's like <laughs> patriotic message. Yeah. Like, soldiers on to what end? Yeah, like, exactly. What, what, are you, what are you What are you soldiering on to? Right. Um, and what and like what like why would you feel patriotic about that in this context? Right? Yes, like, that's a great point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that something to be feel feel good about? Oh my god! I yeah. don't know. I mean, may, that's like the maybe the essence of nation states, like just always striving for for dominance, dominance, and and their continued Over. existence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we want Britain to continue to exist, even when there are no people left. Britain will be the last. Britain's the last. And we <laughs> and we got the David, and we got all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wonder because there's a scene where Theo wakes up and there's like a big red sun. He wakes up early in the morning, and I was wondering if that was a reference to like the great empire of Britain. You know, the sun never sets on. Oh, interesting. Um, because it's it feels like they've gone back to the old colonial impulses now that everything is like falling apart. They're you know pilfering all of the um all of the resources and and like the national treasures of all the all the places that have fallen. Um, it feels very much, and even just like the scene, like even just the imagery of like sort of like exotic like animals, like a camel and a zebra, just hanging yeah. out on the green outside Buckingham House, feels like colonial to me. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's an animal arc and there's an art arc. Uh, well, so about the art though, Laura. So um, Laura knows more about art than I do. So I was asking a lot of questions about art throughout this movie. I'm like, what's that? Um, yeah, no. I was like, "What's that statue with the guy with the there was like naked a, guy?" Oh my god, there was like a bunch of paintings in you, when you when Theo first walks in, and they're so small on the screen, and they're just like some Renaissance paintings. Justin's like, "Do you know that painting?" I don't know every painting <laughs> in the whole world. Come on, like, what's that one? What's that one? <laughs> so, right here. Okay, but 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 okay. So tell us though a bit about some of the paintings. I mean, so there's there's actually I mean there's one painting, there's um, one painting, and one. But they statue. talk about a couple other paintings. They do. I mean, I think there's so, right? really sorry. The, the Picasso, the, the one painting. Yeah, right? the yeah. Guernica. Yeah. Um, they do throw out like a bunch of different references. They talk about Velasquez because they, they're talking about like specifically 
he's there was a bunch of Spanish artists because I think they like had, you know, successfully done a run on Madrid and, and pulled up a, put a bunch of stuff from from the Prado. Couldn't save La Pieta. Smashed up before we got there. Pretty rubbish, huh? My mom had a plastic one in the bathroom. It was a lamp. Good to see you, Theo. We got to keep Las Meninas and a few other Velasquez, but we only got a hold of two Goyas. That thing in Madrid was a real blow to art. Not to mention people. How's Martha? She's doing her animal charity thing. Sends her love. Give him a vest. I think the three most important works of art in this movie, because they were referenced more than once or they come up more than once or they're like really visually striking, are the David, mm-hmm. Picasso's Guernica, which is the the uh, scene of war that's in the dining room behind Theo in the dinner scene, and the Pieta, which you actually never see Michelangelo's Pieta, um, but he references it. And then there's a couple of like visual there's a, a personification of Pieta later in the movie. Can um, you describe what? Yeah, what so Pieta the Pieta means the pity. It's it's a Madonna holding um, her dead son Jesus in her in his in her arms. Um, you know, he's an adult. It's like a, she's cradling him while on the ground. Mm. Um, and in Guernica, there's actually um, there's a bunch of figures in Guernica. It's a city. It's an image of like of civilians, you know, suffering um, from a from a bombing. And there's a woman holding her child. It's a sm- mm. it's a baby, I think, instead of a full grown person. Um, but um, all the same, it's a it's a visual reference in Picasso's painting to the Pieta. But the first thing that you see, so Teddy, Teddy walks in. I'm sorry, Theo walks in and sees Teddy, and you see that big David. Mm-hmm. And then, and Teddy walks underneath it and he says, we couldn't save the Pieta uh-huh. is what he says. So he doesn't actually, I mean, think he says like, oh, isn't it rummy? I think he's just pointing to the David, but the yeah. first thing that he says is about the Pieta. Um, and I was thinking about like why, you know, in a world where they have all of the art, there's a lot to choose from mm-hmm. if you're Quran. <laughs> um, so why pick like those particular works of art? I mean, one answer is like that they're just really visually stunning and mm-hmm. easy to read quickly like um you know if you were to choose mona lisa it's a small kind of like it's a smaller painting they're doing i think they were very conscious about like actually doing this to scale and making it actually look like the work real mm-hmm. work of art so there's that's one reason um but why david and why guernica the david thing i mean my my silly answer is that um it's like kind of a visual gag in a couple of ways uh, or in one way in particular in that like the joke with the David is that he has a small penis <laughs> and, and like and 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 this is a world of infertility um and right, that was the like, yes. we're, we're like wait a second wait, wait, what's wait, the joke what? here <laughs> just because small penises are funny no because it's a world of infertility <laughs> we all know that your and, fertility count is pegged to the size of your of your penis listen That's how it works right <laughs> Yeah, I I think that rings true to me. That seems the perfect like thing to have. Yeah, right. Um, He's also like a symbol of you know young fecundity and youth that like is not not ever to be seen ever again in this world. Yeah, it's 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 that he's young, right? Mm -hmm. Is that he's young and he's small, right? He fells the giant, right? right? The Goliath or whatever, right? And that was the other thing I was thinking in regards to why the David and Guernica is that in both cases, um, there's sort of um, 
just a lack of an, of awareness uh, on the part of Teddy and the ministry of the context and the meaning of those two pieces and and where and and now like them collecting them and hoarding them for mm-hmm. the end of days, David being a symbol of like the little man fighting the larger power. And, you know, like yeah. maybe Britain thinks they're because they're like a small country. They think they're the David, but they're the Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's just like a lack of awareness there. Um, and then, you know, just the and this the juxtaposition of watching this beautiful dinner scene. They're having a multi-course meal and being served in front of a picture of, of, of you know, the horrors of war. And it's literally the background. Yeah. They don't think about it. Well, Just the, like Teddy says, I don't think about it. The other thing I was, I was struck by what you were saying about the, um, the, in particular, that there are both of these in Pieta and in um, Guernica, there are these images of of mothers holding their deceased children. And of course, their children are killed by men. They're not just killed by earthquakes mm-hmm. or whatever. They're killed by another human being. Um, is And and that that is also reflected in it, this, this contrast, right, between the thing we're fighting for, the thing we care about in this movie is the next generation. And yet we're killing the next generation, right? Yep. We're killing them off. Mm-hmm. And you get that contrast also when um, when uh, Theo goes into the building, it's being attacked uh, to get Key's baby. And he brings her out and they all stop fighting for a second. And there's this like moment of reverence when they all kind of, you know, are like they're seeing their own child for the first time as, as the baby comes through. And then and then it's just broken and, and instantly and there's like a bomb goes off and they all just start shooting each other again. And that contrast of like, yeah, we're like, we have this moment of self-reflection and it doesn't amount to anything. opens on the assassination of the youngest person. Yeah. Good point. Right. Because yeah. right. so, he wouldn't sign an autograph. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't yeah. sign an autograph. And then they, you know, that said so like the whole that's how you learn of the problem is baby Diego died, right? And you yep. start mm-hmm. thinking about why baby Diego might matter or not matter. But you know, someone just, you know <laughs> just killed him. Uh, killed him. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, what are we doing here? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like do we, I mean it, it, you know if anything it's a pessimistic movie in that regard and, and it 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 shows maybe we don't we don't deserve to live anymore as like humans maybe humans just don't deserve oh to just God. continue existing i mean i it's just to come back to my original point like 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 we suck <laughs> i mean as a, as, a, as a whole like humanity is like we're just like these massive overuses overusers of resources of natural resources who um, and we don't know, even cherish the thing that we're professing to value so much. Right? Yeah, it's like, like per, per, you know, perpetual existence of humanity. It's like, yeah, we're we're willing to like, you know, take people's heads off when we need to. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Can I say one more thing about the art stuff? Of course. Just because yeah, yeah, of course. 
Sorry. Um, no, but it relates to a uh, feeling of, uh, you know, hope or hopelessness around humanity. But I was one of the things I was thinking about um, or I noticed this time was there are some Guernica images also in the cave um, area or the subterranean area where they're um, when they get in the boat and they're just about to get to the tomorrow boat and he's going to go to the human project, whatever that possibly means. Um, they're, it's really hard to see, but they're like, there's a woman with her arms straight up in the air and that's the woman who's engulfed in flames in Guernica and a head that looks a lot like the woman's head in the, that's from the Pieta piece of Guernica. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So maybe Guernica, so maybe Pieta comes up, um, a couple of times in that sense and that yep. it's like in the painting in the dinner scene there's then the woman that's cradling her child it's like a person you know a real life Gar yeah. uh, P pieta and then in the cave um and then he also they also talk about when when teddy says we couldn't save the pieta theo says something like oh my mom had a pieta lamp He's, and it's kind of a throwaway line, but I, I wondered about it. <laughs> um, but I think like that's the the evolution that that or the re the way that we see the Pieta come back a couple of different times does kind of track with how Theo is thinking about humanity. And um, you know, when he first when he first engage sees something like work of art or things about Pieta, he just thinks like it's lost all meaning. It's become iterated so many times, and now it's just like trash, like a lamp. Um, he doesn't like find any, any value in it. Um, and then when we see it again, again, it's a question of like, now the art has become larger than the piece itself. Mm -hmm. The iconography has become part of our like larger consciousness images like the Pieta Guernica are sort of just like floating around in our brains. But in this case, now it's like a symbol of, of, I mean, of expression and also hope because mm -hmm. it's, you know, perhaps the refugees have been painting this, in their free time to sort of just for the, for the, for the process of it. Yeah. Um, but it's also something that we see on the way out towards yeah. their escape for hope. And at that point, Theo has had a complete 180 in his, in his feeling towards humanity and life. <laughs> it's so interesting. I mean, it, yeah, there, that was a fantastic observation. And, and when you mentioned that to me before, I was like, I was really taken back by that because in a way, there's this doubling of where of commodification and re reproduction that happens. And the first time you hear it, you're like, oh, that just, it diminishes the art. That it was reproduced, that you had a reproduction, right. that it was commodified. It's supposed to be like, yeah, who cares? Like I had a, my mom at the Pieta lamp, like, you know, like college kids have it in the dorm room. Like it's right. just insignificant. But then when you see it in this second context where it's used as a symbol of hope or, uh, because they can't access it because freaking guys got it locked up in the, right. in the palace. Then suddenly it's like, no, this is actually liberating it. It's a value to have it actually commodified. It belongs it, to all of it us. It belongs to everyone. It's democratized. Um, and I like that doubling and that that you get that two reactions to this commodification, well, not commodification, right. but yeah, there's two reactions to the reproduction. Re reproduction, replication, yeah. yeah. Did we, um, did you guys notice... Uh, Maybe everyone everyone was already onto this, but do you notice this sort of just the string of animals that like Theo? Right? Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the so cats, yeah, there's the cat, the dog. The dog. Like every animal, every animal that interacts with Theo, kind of like wants something, mm. like wants his attention, wants his love, right? Like, um, is it as simple as just sort of animals? You know, supposedly mythologically can like sense good spirits, and mm. they all just sort of gravitate towards Theo, and like that's the like you know. 
they think he's better before he even knows he's better, right? So what if what about the idea that he is a shepherd, right? So he because he is shepherding them to the the boat of tomorrow or whatever, and so in a way, like he the animals sort of look to him as someone who can I don't know, like they're not all livestock, I guess, but <laughs> no, I I like that though. I had read it the way you did, Vishal, that like they sort of, they see a goodness in in yeah. him that he's he's suppressing, but is there. Because when I think about when I when I thought when I when I just gotten done watching the movie and I thought you know sometimes what I like to do when I think about movies is sort of like which images stay with you right like yeah. which mm-hmm. images that keep keep coming back to you and there's a couple in this film that you know stuck with me um, but the the kitten kind of like I crawling up and like clawing him and like crawling up his leg yeah. really stuck with me and I, mm. I, you know I don't know that it's a particularly important frame in the movie. But it's a frame that probably in the last 24 hours I've thought about just as much as the, mm. I don't know, the the ship coming out or the first time you see the baby or, mm-hmm. you know, that scene where everyone just sort of stops fighting for a minute as you're, you know, there's lots of images that stick with you in this film. But but this uh, this kitten image kept sticking with me and I sort of wanted to like understand. I didn't know what it was. I was like, why, why do I care about that image so much, right? Like it's the thing that I keep thinking about. It is right? such a cool image. I mean, the image that, that always it gives me goosebumps is the when the bus pulls into Bexhill for the first time and it's just going past the cages of people mm-hmm. and the lighting is is so stark and it's recalling all these like horrific images from like Abu Ghraib and all that and it's just I'm just that it's so disturbing and and it just out of place like it just feel because right because it's like you know we were supposed to be in like London like this is or whatever not London but this is like just outside of London and it's like you know, but it looks like it's this war ravaged um, torture ch- center. And um, I find that just so disconcerting. I That scene always kind of yeah. it really gets me. It's a hard one. The, this- the visuals, I think, line up a lot with like some of the photography you see at the, the U.S.-Mexico border these days. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of this just yeah. like going through a, a yeah. chain of people who are just sort of, you know, in this sort of no man, you know, no person's land. Right. For, for in you know for some in, indeterminate amount of time right? yeah so yeah um no yeah the the prescience of the movie is is definitely something that i was struck by yesterday mm-hmm. in terms of just like wow this feels so so of the moment right oh my god yeah it's awful yeah. for me the scene that one of the images that stuck with me the longest was the um abandoned and sort of grown over uh elementary school mm-hmm Partially, I mean, I I just think like grown over buildings that have just been like left into the to the to the wild are are like upsetting and also like fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. there's like a whole series of P- of these videos on YouTube where people just like go to abandoned malls. Mm-hmm. It seems crazy that land would not be used for something in this day and age, but like sometimes there are just malls that have just been abandoned, and yeah. it's just like there there's like water and plants growing up next to like a food court. It's it's disturbing. It is cool. I find it. I think it's cool, man. I'm just, just like, like a deer running through a classroom. It's I know. crazy. Um, but no, I the though that image really really stuck with me. It's it's almost like one of those things where it's like if you haven't been reflecting on what the the the, the gravity of this situation and and that there are no children. That's that's one of those scenes where it re- really reminds you. It's like right. Yeah. This is there's not going to be nobody's going to these schools, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and another thing that I was thinking about this time was, and of course, this is of course the case, but you just, you don't really think about it, but of course everyone is older. Everyone in the movie, every extra, every person is, is older. They're like our age or older. And, um, 
and it's like, you know, it's, it is interesting to just think like, yeah, you don't hear children's voices until the, the, the baby's born, but until the very end when it cuts to black and you just hear the children playing, right? That's yeah. the first time you've actually he- heard any children's voices. It is strange because now, um, since we watched a lot of our movies with a baby monitor on, whenever there <laughs> is, whenever there is a cry in the, ba- in the mix, in a sound mix, I like my, you know, my shoulders go up towards my Spider ears, sense. you know, I'm like, oh my God, is he awake? Um, <laughs> and they put baby cries in the mix all the time in every movie, like every background noise, there's like children or, or baby mm-hmm. sounds. Um, and it is weird that it would be completely absent from yep. this world. That's such a nice, that seems such a nice pause because the, the midwife fish character has her time to just sort of talk about like what it was like when this started happening. Yeah. Um, and they just like looked ahead to seven months and there's no more, you know, there's well, no pregnancies you, and how strange no. that must have been. That, you know what I was thinking about in that thing? I mean, I don't want to get apocalyptic here, but I was thinking of COVID. As it's the same, it's the same thing where people are like, "Oh, well, it'll be fine because this is only a temporary thing." And then, you know, and then they're like, "Wait a sec, this this could actually be going on for longer than we thought." And then, mm-hmm. and then eventually, it was just like, "Oh, this there are is, no pregnancies. That's it. Yep, it's a game over." And not that we're going to end up in that situation, but it does feel like that, right? At first, you just dismiss it. You're like, oh, "Okay, this isn't a big deal." Um, yeah. And then, you, then you've got your second and third waves. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Sorry. What? Justin, <laughs> come on. This doesn't, always, this doesn't all have to come back to COVID. Sorry. <laughs> what What do you think? Why do you think this isn't as celebrated in, in Quran's filmography? That's a great right? question. It's it's Itumama Tambien. It's Gravity, which, you know, we can talk about Gravity. I personally did not like it very much. No, uh, we're not Gravity fans here either. Yeah. So, it, you know, Gravity... Uh, Roma, which was good. I think I saw it at a, at a weird point in, um, in my personal life. Mm. Um, but people, but people obviously very celebrated. I think maybe mm-hmm. a little bit sort of controversy around theatrical release versus Netflix, whatever you want to talk about that. But this movie almost never gets discussed, right? Like his earlier yep. films get discussed. Yep. Gravity gets discussed. I mean, it's what he won, you know, awards for. Yep. Um, but this one just sort of gets overlooked and, you know, like, I think I've heard people talk more about the fact that he's the, the director of one of the Harry Potter films. Yeah, yeah. I, it's true. Children of Men. Like, how can that be? That just that seems insane. This to me is his best work. This to me is, I think, the hundred percent the best thing he's ever done. I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, uh, just to, on the point about not people not watching this movie. So I, I I I looked on the budget and I looked at the budget to revenue ratio, and um, this movie cost seventy five million to make, and it earned about seventy five million, like total box office, like. That sucks. Yeah. Like <laughs> that really yeah. sucks. And like I, I think a lot of people didn't see it and um and haven't seen it as you're as you're pointing out. And I think it's a real. It's like I don't I don't know why that is. Um, in terms of like just why like the general population hasn't seen it, I mean, it's a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. Well, yeah. it's a bummer, and it's like really technically showy, but not in a way that like, if you don't really like pay attention to camera work, you would appreciate. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a good point. Yeah. Really good point. Cause it's, it was clearly a response to George Bush. Yeah. But I mean, if we're talking about legacies, has anyone's legacy like sort of outshined its evil than George yeah. W. Bush? <laughs> right. He seems like a veritable, like peace prize winner compared to, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean like, it's, I think there's just, you know, it's a very interesting world, right? Like this was clearly like a response to, to George Bush, but it, it, the fact that it feels so, so relevant and so, so prescient for a, a Trump administration is sort of striking, right? It's like, to your point, Justin, it's like that, 
that wasn't even that bad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it just feels that way, I guess. I, I, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, w those felt like manageable bads, right? Those felt like things that we could, you know, with enough protesting and with enough yeah. hope, we could elect Barack Obama, right? Yeah. And this, what we're looking at, it feels yeah. a lot more bleak, right? It well, feels. It's also George Bush's world felt very like still centered on foreign policy. Uh huh. This is like domestic strife, it's right? True. This is like yeah. COVID is here. Like yep. this is, you know, every everything that we've done, you know, it, for you know, at least in my like my lifetime, right, has always been like largely centered about happening somewhere else, That's right? And very few things are on U.S. shores, right? So yeah. not from a war perspective, but even any sort of like climactic, you know, sort of adverse effect. Um, also, can we give a shout out to Julianne Moore? Oh, yes. Laura can, yeah. <laughs> to give a shout out, I just feel like we can't wrap this discussion up without talking about, okay, I'm really glad you brought it up because I was like, how can I bring up Julianne Moore? I, <laughs> she's she's like my, my platonic ideal so, of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> so Laura, okay. So tell us your top five favorite things about Julianne Moore. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, she's great. She's great. This, I, look, I think she's great generally. I think I, I tend to like a lot of stuff that she's in. Um, but you know, like pretty, like, you know, pretty short turn in the movie, not yeah. too much screen time, but just like comes in, you know, comes in, does, does her work. Like, it's great. Um, establishes like emotional stakes for this, right? Yep. Like she's, yeah. Like I, I enjoyed her. She's I, a pro. I love her and everything, but I did. I said the same thing, same thing where I was like, I forgot how quickly she dies in this movie. Yeah. Holy yeah. moly. Like we look at the timestamp. I'm like, there's so much more movie. I forgot about that. Like in my mind, she's a big part of it. Um, but she just has a, she leaves an impression. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love her. She, uh, to me, she anchors the emotional stakes, right? Before Theo realizes what's at stake here, I think Julianne Moore is like setting that tone and, mm -hmm. and sort of, and you get a little bit of a backstory about, you know, they lost a child, right? Some things like that. So um, no, I think she, she kind of, she does a lot to pull, at least when I'm watching the movie, she pulls me in a lot, right? She, she gets me on board, right? Um, Danny Houston is amazing. Uh, but yeah, no, I just think he's got like five minutes of screen time and he uses them in Children true. of Men. He's great. That just wide stance he takes when he's standing underneath <laughs> the David and is like, um, like, um, I don't know what it is about those jeans that feel really early 2000s. Gotta get the little acid wash. I think it's like, there's like, a, they're overly like, uh, worn on the, on the, on the thighs and maybe just a little too flared. <laughs> oh, the flare. Remember the flare of a shot? Yeah. Like, like the boot cut. You gotta yeah, get the it's boot a boot cut. cut. That's what it is. I had a couple yeah. of those. And I think he's got like a Henley with like maybe a button undone. Like he's. <laughs> like a power this move. this guy. Just, any context that Henley's a power move. <laughs> <laughs> I just think he's he's so good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we should we should we should let you go. <laughs> Uh, this was this was super fun. Thank you so much for coming on, Vishal. Um, and uh, we will have to have you back. To the listeners, I hope you enjoyed our episode on Children of Men. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> I don't know why I say those things. Nobody's listening. It's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, we still value this project, Justin. We yeah, it's about the process. It's about the. Pro <laughs> I feel like you guys are mocking me. Uh, okay, so uh, we're going to sign off now. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.